us in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, JC, and guest host with us tonight, Josh Tice. Josh, how you doing, bud? Let's go! Hey, there it is, I love it. We got it in, we got it in. Josh, it's good to have you back on the episode with us tonight. Hey man, it's been a long week. I can't believe you record these one week apart. We could have just done it in one night. Make it happen. <laughs> I love it. Tricks of the trade, man. Tricks of the trade. Brian, Nathan, y'all doing good today? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. I am a little thrown off. JC has himself identified on our podcasting software as Nathan Rager. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about that, JC. I don't even know how Josh feels about that. By the way, I got attacked for saying I wanted to know how Nathan Rager landed Forrest Gump as a co-host on his podcast. And somehow Nathan was really offended as if I'd talked about his wife or, you know, maybe said that his wife was a little overweight in skinny jeans or something, but he really got (laughs) frustrated about that. Yeah, he did. But the deal is I thought with the flannel shirt and the ball cap, the guy favored Forrest Gump. Look, he does. He does. I just I want everybody on the podcast to know this. When you look like I do, the last thing you ever do is make fun of the way anybody looks. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> I, I, we can't disagree with that, Brian. We we do now for those who don't know, you've got to check it out, Brian. You've got to tweet a picture of your beard. Because yes, it is yes. dumb and it's sweet, my friends. Sweet beer. <laughs> Josh Ermler and I, my partner with the Idea Network, we've tried to grow facial hair. We can't do it. First of all, we're, we're not reformed enough. That's the problem. There it is. There it is. Yeah. That's the problem right there. <laughs> That's the problem. And, and, and we look so good underneath the facial hair. Why would you cover this up? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, Come on. here's the thing. You know, as, as a Baptist, you know, you can't drink beer. But what you have to do is buy craft beer, and it has to have like 13 different ingredients in it and an orange peel somewhere along the way. (laughs) And you take it and you rub it on your face, and that's what awakens your reformed beard. And there's the Brian joke of the day. (laughs) Brian, you keep growing that beard. We're going to have to get you some Free Life Soap beard oil. Go to Free Life Soap at therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use the promo code RFP and get 20% off of your order. It's Free Life Soap. They got beard oil for manly beards like Brian. (laughs) Nice. So, Josh, we are real excited. Coming up in just a few weeks, it is the Idea Summit in Vegas, and the RFP guys are coming to hang out with you in Vegas. Man, tell us all about that. Yeah, man, the Idea Summit's going to be a fantastic opportunity. First of all, Kerry Newhoff is going to be keynoting on Monday night, but really what that Monday night is more than just a keynote. It is a night of worship, and guys, one of the things that I absolutely love about that night is the opportunity for people from various backgrounds to come together preachers, hundreds of us coming together with our wives to sing to Christ. Oh man, is it inspiring. Yeah. And for some of those guys, this is really, it's a big step. And, and for you, it might be a first time to be in an environment where you have um, maybe music that's a little bit of a step four or a little bit step differently than what you're used to. And it's been, I, I, we have not had more positive feedback about one specific element of an idea day or idea summit than that night of worship. And then Carrie Newhoff is going to be able to share the word of God. It's going to be a great opportunity to learn. And then the next day, the idea day itself. So what makes idea day different and what an idea summit is, is a full day of sharing methodological, philosophical, and theological ideas in round table scenarios and in session format. So the thing that we love most about these opportunities is that you're not necessarily going into a place where one expert is giving his idea about how you can reproduce his ministry in your location. Mm -hmm. 
What you're doing is you're coming in with one broad subject. Let's say the subject is assimilation. Assimilation is a passion of idea networks. Assimilation meaning we don't believe that our churches have a problem getting people to visits. We have a problem getting people to come back. Mm. So the question is, how many of your visitors are you assimilating on a monthly or on an annual basis? Do we even know what the assimilation rate is? Do you have an assimilation process, an assimilation plan? And so what we do is every single one of our, our events sit, begin with one person giving about a 10-minute kickoff talk. Then we all answer five questions on our paper. Then we go to about a 45-minute conversation at the roundtable saying, okay, what is the best ideas that you've implemented as it relates to assimilation this year? And it's a, what we call a collaborative brainstorming session. If you've ever had a yellow pad and a pen, you know what a brainstorming session is. You sit down and you go through 12 bad ideas to get to one good idea. And that's what an idea network moment is. That's what an idea day roundtable is. It's bad idea after bad idea after bad idea with no judgment, with no problem, with nobody looking at you and yelling at you because you're a heretic, just ideas. And then you're pulling away. Ooh, that's a good one. We can do that idea. Well, Josh, I am super excited about being there to take part in that. I'm excited that the RFP is going to be a part of it this year, but I'm also excited to experience it for myself. I've never had the opportunity of being there. I've, I've talked to you about it, and I've done a lot of research, but this sounds incredible. They really are a lot of fun. That's what we always get back. One of our core values is just to have fun. And, uh, and we really do. We come together as a group of pastors and just have a great time sharing ideas. Now, some of them are roundtable experiences. Some of them are breakouts where the guy speaks for maybe 25 minutes and then it's all Q&A. And then we have panels. Um, and you guys are actually going to be sitting as two of our panels. One of them is going to be awesome that we're actually recording. Good. Because guys, listen, I told you before we started recording, I'm a fanboy. I love this podcast. I don't know. Months ago, I found this podcast. I've listened to nearly every single episode. Uh, Mike Peters, honestly, was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Him, him and Jen broke my heart. I mm. loved them. And uh, anyway, I love this podcast and have been excited about it. But um, you guys are going to be recording a live episode there, as well as the meet and greet, which I've heard is going to be something pretty special. Dude. We are fired up for it. And by the way, Mike Peters is going to be in Las Vegas with us. How cool is that? Yeah, man. I'm glad you mentioned that. If you're a pastor coming in, I want to encourage you, especially, now I'm going to be blunt here, especially if you pastor a church that is doing well. You know, you have got 150, 200 people or more. Listen, we're doing what's called the church planting, uh, the church planting luncheon. It is a fundraising luncheon for church planters and missionaries specifically who are going to the field or passionate about their calling. But specifically, guys, what we're often dealing with are guys who have lost a tremendous amount of support because of their uh, unwillingness to uh, sacrifice the gospel on the altar of preferences on the foreign field or in their church planting network. And so what we're doing is we're bringing these guys in and saying, hey, don't worry, we got your back. Let's raise some money. And uh, we only did it one other time, but the first time we did it, we were able to raise over $70,000 for church planners and missionaries. This year, I believe wow. it's going to be even more. And so if you're coming, listen, come a few hours early. It's noon uh, at, uh, at the Idea Summit on Monday. And if you can come, come in and come. Tell your missions people, I need to come with, a mon with some money. I need to come prepared. And we're going to give all of that money, every dime, to these 10 church planters and missionaries. That's it awesome. is so much fun. That's incredible. Yeah, Mike and Jen is not just mission support. Um, a couple like that, that's actually a missions investment. That's an investment in the gospel. That couple yeah. is incredible. You know, you said you're fanboys of the podcast. We're fanboys of Mike and Jen Peters, and uh, they've been on the podcast a few times, and we just love what God is doing there. And so we've seen the other guys that are part of that church planting luncheon, and uh, man, just to think the work that is being done within that group of men is outstanding, and we're excited to get to meet the other guys. Yeah, and I want to talk to our listeners. You guys, if you're a pastor if you're interested in networking, if you're interested in just getting away, man, 2020 has been a hard year yeah. for everybody. If you're interested in taking part of this, you need to sign up. And I want to call Clay Maynard out 
We need to hold this guy's feet to the fire. He's a part of the family, whether he realizes it or not, and I think he does. Yeah. This dude needs to be in Vegas. It has to happen. Come on, Clay. Come on out. I, I always say one of my passions about Idea Day, Idea Night, or an Idea Summit, these events that we do, is that it is a place where you can come and not only get ideas. For me, most importantly, it's about building friendships and relationships. I am absolutely convinced that one of the deepest problems that pastors have in ministry and women have in ministry is that we don't have deep, strong friendships. Men who are friends with men, who can be open and honest and vulnerable with each other, who can actually seek counsel and help one another. Idea Network has provided that for me and has provided that for hundreds of other pastors. And look, you're listening to this. Why should I come? You need those other pastors and they need you, guy. They need you. We'd love to see you in Vegas, January 25th and 26th. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Idea Summit tab. That'll take you to their website, and you can sign up by using your promo code RFPMEETUP and get a discount on your ticket. Well, Josh, why don't you take us back to where we were in the last episode about how you were starting to see some things in the IFB movement that you really didn't want to be a part of, and talk to us about that personal movement in your life and where you have moved to? Yeah, for me, there were always um, always signs that were a little bit off uh, in some areas. I remember I was sitting my freshman year in our Preacher Boys class, and I sat with my brother. We, they sat us alphabetically. There's probably about 400, 450 Preacher Boys. Um, and I, I sat in the back with my brother with our last name T. We sat near the back. And um, I remember a guy got up and he preached. I have no idea who he was. No idea. I'm, I'm sure he's probably somebody we'd be familiar with, but you know, I'm a freshman. I, I don't keep track of names. And I remember him preaching about wooden pulpits. I remember him going to the book of Ezra, I think. Oh, boy. And he was talking about the fact, um, and I had never heard anything like this. And, <laughs> and he was just going off about wooden pulpits and now a pulpit of wood. And some of you are going to, and this was a statement, Nathan, I'll never forget it. He said, his sermon was entitled, are you going to do what's right or are you going to do what works? Mm. And he started, and, and he, then he, all of his illustrations, if he, he said, if you're going to have a glass pulpit, back then it wasn't acrylic, it was a glass pulpit. If you're going to have a glass pulpit, and more people are going to come to church and more people are going to quote unquote get saved. And you're going to do that. But the Bible says wooden pulpit. Are you going to do what's right or are you going to do what works? And then he gave a bunch of other illustrations. And I remember being really frustrated and confused. Now you have to understand me. You have to understand. I am not a fighter in this way. I was, I was hook, line, and sinker. I was whatever they said. Not because I just want to be a people pleaser because I, I love Jesus and I love you and I'm positive. I'm excited. This is all awesome. But I sat there with my brother and he looked at me and I looked at him. I'm like, that sounds crazy. Let's call dad. So we went back to the room and we called my dad and we're like, dad, this guy said this stuff. And my dad said, look, look, first of all, a lot of people believe different things and that's, that's just crazy. <laughs> and it's a little weird. And he said, you have to remember, just because these people come in doesn't mean they are who we are. It doesn't mean they believe what we believe. Just ignore the weird stuff and stay focused positive on the good stuff. So we did. But man, there were a lot of things like that throughout four years. Um, again, my experience there was amazing. I met my wife there. Um, I grew up in a in a homeschooled family, and so people said, "Man, when you get went there, did you like really like get really burdened by all the rules? Are you kidding me? I was homeschooled. I was free. Man. I was free." <laughs> Josh, <laughs> I, I knew until eleven o'clock. I knew we had kindred spirits, brother. I, I sensed the homeschool brotherhood between us, man. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was there. Hang on, were you a lifer, kindergarten to twelfth grade? K five to twelve, baby. I had no Come friends. Come on. I Man, left in bro. the fourth grade, so I don't really count as a homeschool kid, but I did have some experience. We were prom king, most likely to succeed. We had the best smile. My best friends were Zach, uh, Kelly, Screech. <laughs> yeah, he's, come he's, on. <laughs> it's all right, because I'm saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. So you guys have never had to go through the transition of going from weird homeschooler who didn't have any idea about fashion, clothing, name brands, into a private Christian school with all these rich kids. Nope. Dude, I was 
scarred for life. I was in the fourth grade and it took me until about halfway through the sixth grade until I realized I was a total dork. <laughs> That's hilarious. You said that my buddy, Josh Ermler just talked about the fact that his kids are going to a really great, very expensive Christian school up in Northern Cal. And he said, my son came to me the other day and said, dad, I need a pair of Gucci's. No <laughs> and he way. said, he said, Gucci's. He said, we're more like gauchos. That's what we are. We're not. Listen, I'll never forget the first time my mom dressed me. I think I was, I was a sixth grader and I had these pair of jeans on. I was husky back in the day and still am. What am I talking about? And <laughs> my mom put me in this pair of jeans that fit me right. But the tag said chick on them. I think she got him at Woolsworth or something. And my friend goes, Nathan, you can stop choking up on the husky joke. I there. almost <laughs> spit my coffee on this expensive microphone and MacBook, man. Oh, you almost gosh. ruined my computer. That's hilarious. Well, mom, I come in, I went, Mother, my friend just told me that the jeans you have me in are chick jeans. These are made for girls. What are you thinking? And she went, Oh, John Calvin, they're just made for husky boys. <laughs> and so that was the first time in my life I realized my mom's dressing me in chick jeans. Now somebody's going to take this and they're going to run with it. That JC's a cross dresser, and that's what God saved him from. Take that, Harry Styles. Yeah, the moment that scarred me was my mom took me to. Uh, I think there was this store called Zare back in the day. Z a y r e, I think. And uh, she bought me a pair of tracks tennis shoes. Anybody remember tracks? I don't think I was born then. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted to be Nike, but they had basically turned the swoosh upside down <laughs> oh. so that instead of curving and going up, it it, it actually went out and curved and Was went their down. their slogan, just don't? <laughs> it should have been. That was a man, Brian my, joke. Yes. <laughs> my tracks tennis shoes were solid white. I was so proud. And then I got to school and people started calling them trash instead of tracks. Oh, and man. so I would say they're not trash, they're tracks. And uh, it was, it was a, but my therapist said I'm almost over it. <laughs> I just wore Umbro and Faded Glory. Come on, Umbro yeah. back in the days. You wore the Umbro shorts and then had the like, when, when you were rollerblading, you had the spandex shorts underneath the Umbros. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Man, come on. What about Massimo and Vans? Oh, yeah, Massimo. I forgot about that. Come on. And Bugle Boy. Oh, Bugle yes. Boy. Yes. Hey. I Bugle remember Boy. Bugle Boy. Those are back in fashion, dude. If you can find a pair of Bugle Boys at the oh, thrift store. Who, who would have thought that Champion brand would be back in style? Like, I used to go to Kmart and buy T-shirts for 25 cents, and now it's like $75 for a T-shirt. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for parachute pants to come back in style. No. You could hear everybody swishing everywhere. Hammer time. Yeah, in between classes, all you could hear was, you know, going down the hallway. Yeah, this is great coming from a bunch of liberals who wear skinny jeans like you three. Dude, you don't want me anywhere near a pair of skinny <laughs> jeans. I can guarantee you that much. <laughs> so, Josh, what were some other things that you saw that led to your journey out of that specific brand of or type of fundamentalist Baptist? Yeah, so it's a good question. So when I came back and I, I kind of we, – we, we, took the good and left the bad. That's the reality. My brother and I, we took the good, left the bad, the good being my wife and a lot of great education, a lot of great Bible and came back and I worked for my dad for two years. And then we started a church on the other side of town. Here's the problem. I became subsequently in the midst of all that more conservative than my dad, more, more bought in, more bought into, uh, and I'm telling you, I'm 24 years old planting a church. Um, our music, we wanted to make it the most God-honoring, as sincere, as sincere as I possibly could be before God, on my knees, hands before God. And and I wanted to be as conservative in my music as possible. I want to make sure it was hymn books only. I wanted to make sure that uh, my, I, I wore a three, I wore a dress suit, not three-piece suit, but a suit every day. I would go into the office as we planted the church by myself. I would sit there all day long in a suit. Nobody would come see me. Nobody cared. And I would go home. And I did this for a couple years, guys, and uh, until, as I said in the last episode, until I, until I started preaching through the Bible, mm. until I started preaching through the Word of God mm. and began to say, you know, wait a minute. A couple things broke me. One thing that broke me is I was invited by a Southern Baptist pastor to a coffee meeting with other pastors. 
And I can remember, hand to God, I was on my knees in my daily prayer time that morning. And as I was on my knees praying to the Lord, I was about to go meet about six pastors in the community at the Starbucks for a pastor's meet and greet. And I prayed, Lord, if you give me the opportunity to lead these men to you for salvation, I will take that opportunity. I genuinely believed. I truly, 25 years old, believe wow. that there's there's a good shot these guys don't know Jesus. Man. And this changed my life, guys. Mm. As I got to know them, I began to realize these people know Jesus in a way I've never known Jesus. Wow. Mm. Wow. Absolutely changed my life. And it was it was that was the beginning. Now I had my my standards. I had my I was better than them in a lot of ways. They might know Jesus, but I know how to make the Holy Spirit happy or something. And uh, I had I had all these things ready. And I got to tell you what really happened for me is I posted on Facebook. I'm telling you, this is probably now 2007. I posted on Facebook, maybe 2008. I'm preaching through the book of Galatians. And one of my friends from the past, he, he, he commented and he said, oh, Galatians, the book that broke my legalistic heart. And I remember getting offended and I remember getting angry at him. And I remember thinking, how dare you? This is why, guys, I have a lot of um, patience and compassion for these, these younger pastors who are very passionate about Because that was me. I was angry. I was upset. I'd become increasingly angry. This is not who my father was. This is not where my family was. But I'd become so legalistic and so, such a separatist in my mind and so much prideful and better and arrogant than everybody else. I got so angry. And as I preached through the word of God, I think it was God's, God's grace on the sincerity of my heart that he said, I will not let you be a jerk the rest of your life. And God was patient enough to teach me as I preached through Galatians for like half a year on a Sunday night that I was the Pharisee, not the disciple. Wow. I needed Jesus, man. And God, you know, we talked in the last episode, I got saved when I was five, seven, 10. I got resaved when I was about 28 years old, I gotta tell you. And uh, God just broke my heart of legalism at that moment. And when that happened, when that happened, I found that I fell down the slippery slope of, of God's grace. Wow. And suddenly the things that were more most important to me, the way I dressed, the way my family dressed, the way our church presented itself, the music in our church, all of these things, I began to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And some of those things shifted. And I got to tell you, within my little circles of the IFB, I was the next big thing. We had built a church, planted a church. The church was running 250, 300 people at that point. And I was, you know, invited to everything. And I can remember, I can remember having conversations. I had one specific mentor who told me this. This is, he, this is his words to me. He said, Josh, he said, I know what you're going through. He said, but I'm telling you, here's what I want to tell you. He said, you need to be careful to steward your influence. He said, you could go far as an independent Baptist. Some of the worst advice I'd ever heard in my life. Mm. What he was, what essentially, maybe he didn't mean it this way. He's a wonderful, sweet person and all these things. But for my arrogant heart, the way I took that was, I've got to hide what God is doing in my life so that I don't miss out on these big meetings, these big important moments, and all of this, this fanfare that I had going on. And I got to tell you, I did not steward my influence well, and I began to do what was right for our local church, and man, did we lose out denominationally. But in turn, we saw more people saved and baptized and discipled, and God poured out a spirit of freedom and grace in my personal life and in our family and our church like I had never experienced since I was a young child. And I've got to tell you, I would never go back to trade what God has given me for denominational influence. Wow. It always makes me laugh when people say that we've chosen this life of being a recovering fundamentalist because we chose the easy road. Yeah. The most difficult thing that ever happened in my life in the ministry was when I said truth over tradition, God's word over everything else in my life. Uh, in about three and a half years, we had about 300 people walk away from what was then Blessed Hope Baptist Church. I was attacked by so many people. Um, I had so many people you know, point their finger at me, yell in my face. I'll never forget the day I had a man stand outside of our, our church's building, and he pointed his finger in my face, and he said, you're ruining this church. 
And the day you drive it in the ground, I'm going to be the first one to come back and to laugh in your face. And uh, those were some difficult times. It was anything but easy. I remember somebody one time told me this while I was in the midst of a lot of these transitions. They said to me, you're just trying to do this to be cool. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I went home, I talked to my brother. I said, be cool. I said, that's it. I, I dedicated my life to planting a church for the gospel of Jesus to advance his name so I could be cool. Somebody, whenever I transitioned away from the King James Version, a, a huge transition, by the way, our church, huge transition from the King James Version to the New King James Version. Isn't that radical? And, uh, mm-hmm. and I remember preaching out of the New King James Version, and somebody contacted me and said this. They said, you're just doing that because it's, uh, it's a lot easier. Easier. I have, since I was a child, memorized the King James Version. I know the King James Version. I know it like the back of my hand. It's not easier for me to preach from another version. It's yeah. way easier for me to preach from. It's because I'm trying to preach to people in Las Vegas. I the, the thing that broke me, by the way, from that is preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to talk about a poorly translated book of the Bible in the King James, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very poorly worded translation in the book of Ecclesiastes. I know some of your audience may not like to hear that, but here's the reality, <laughs> man. That has that was a life changer for me. But to do it to be cool, guy, what I'm trying to do my whole life, I say without any apology, is dedicated to obeying the master, Jesus Christ, regardless Amen. of what that cost me. Amen. Hmm. So you've talked about your transition. So so what did that cost you moving out of an area that you are the up-and-coming guy and a lot of people are looking to you to leverage your influence moving into the direction that God was calling you to go. Yeah. Look, um, the scripture is clear on this. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, there is a cost to discipleship. Yeah. I tell people in Las Vegas this all the time. I call them, this is all I do is call people to be disciples. And I tell them, look, it's going to be worth it when you leave your family and you leave your girlfriend and you move out from your, your girlfriend. And when you leave your job down uh, at the strip club. It'll be worth it to leave everything to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. It's all I preach to people. And then Jesus turned around to me and said, I want you to follow me. And I got to tell you, there is a, there's not a cost to salvation. Jesus paid that cost, but there's a cost to obeying Jesus. There's a cost to discipleship. And for some people, it's leaving the strip club. For me, it was leaving opportunity in my denomination for me, it was leaving behind friendships. I thought were friendships. I found out, I, I came to realize they weren't really friendships. They were ministry partnerships. It was leaving behind being a people pleaser. It was leaving behind the desire to please people and realizing I only have one to please, and that is Jesus. When you have friends and mentors and others say just some you know, very, very discouraging things. I'd recently received a letter from one of my mentors growing up uh, that I had in my early ministry. And it came to the church and my wife came in. My wife came in um, to my office with a letter and she said, hey, Josh, she said, you got a letter from, and she named who it was. And I'm like, no kidding. I said, let me have it. She said, um, so I want you to know you got it, but I'm going to keep it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it away. I'm going to destroy it. And I said, why? Why would you do that? And she said, Josh, you don't need to read this letter. But you know what? I got to tell you, you say, man, that's really terrible. Guys, nothing. It's nothing compared to the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. It's Mm. nothing compared to knowing I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do every Sunday. It's nothing like having a clear conscience, knowing I'm not playing a denominational game for denominational control, that I can freely be who God has created me to be to reach the people of Las Vegas in my time, in my generation. And I've got to tell you, man, I would never go back into the chains when I've been freed. That is awesome. Josh, I identify with what you're saying. You know, it's really addictive when you are the evangelist. You're the guy holding the revival because the pastor is starving for fellowship. He's having you in for the meeting because he he respects you. You get to stay in a nice hotel. You get to choose the restaurants that you eat at every night. Uh, the pastor always asks the question, what do you want to do tomorrow? They they try to take you to the nicest golf course in their area. They want you to see the best sites. And so every single week, it's basically uh, like a vacation. And you already know the messages you're going to preach. 
And so you don't, you don't really have to study and you don't really have to pray. You don't really have to work uh, for that night's message, or you can just do what Tony Hudson does and get up and just talk about whatever that has nothing to do with anything whatsoever. You know, that, that becomes an addiction. And when you start to let go of that, you really start to realize this is going to cost me financially. This is going to cost me relationally. This is going to tear down so many of the idols that I've worked so hard to build. Mm. That's a difficult thing, especially when the voice of your pride is trying to convince you that you're making the worst mistake of your life. After all, you're preaching the Bible and you're hanging around with Christians. It can't be that bad for you to continue in that lifestyle. Did you experience some of that? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And what God is, what God gave me in place of that, when the Bible says he'll return uh, your, your ashes for beauty, man, has God done that for me. I remember giving up. I felt like, man, look how much I'm giving up. And then you talk about just relationships and then God, God brought these relationships into my life. I mean, true, genuine, deeper friendships where I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. I can be honest about my walk with God, my questions about things, my, and that changed that, that changed everything for me. So for what was taken away, God replaced tenfold. I feel like Job. I feel like Job. And it's cool to see you leveraging your influence for the kingdom, not for Josh's kingdom, but for the kingdom of Christ and seeing how God is using you now. That's very kind of you to say. I don't, I don't think that's deserved at all. I, I really am passionate, though, about the Idea Network because I feel like pastors need relationships. There are too many women out there who are starving. They're star- I, I, I talk to pastors whose wives are just unable to put their mind around any kind of pastoral fellowship because anytime they go to one, they feel extremely judged. I'm not wearing the right thing. I'm not as beautiful. I'm not as successful. I'm not as good at women's ministry as this person. Come on, you're just the beloved daughter of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And you get to serve alongside your husband. And this is the spirit of Idea Network. And so I remember years ago when we were going through all of this, I remember one of my associate pastors, I love him so much. He's now a pastor himself. His name is Stephen Miller. He said to me, we were talking about stewarding our influence. He said, you know, Josh, he said, I guess you don't have any more influence. Why don't we just create our own? And I said, what do you mean? None of these ideas, none of the idea network, none of this, and none of it was, I have no, I'm just the guy that people tell me what to do and I do it. And he's like, we could do this thing. And Steve Miller and Josh Ermler's associate pastors and everybody's talking about, hey, we should do this thing. And then we'll have our own friends. We don't have to lose all our friends because we're choosing to follow the Lord in these areas. We could create our own thing where our own friends could come and we could do our own thing. And we're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, do you think anybody would come? Maybe. So we just, we, we called our 25 closest friends, 12 of theirs and 12 of ours. And we sat around, this is like six years ago now. We sat around a table and we're like, hey, let's talk about ideas. And we had five ideas we wanted to talk about. We talked all day about those ideas. It was amazing. And then somebody said, hey, we should open this up for registration next year. We're like, registration? Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, like they could go on and they could pay like 20 bucks or whatever. And they could come and we could talk about ideas. We opened it up. 75 people or 75 pastors signed up that next year. And from there, now we've had them all over the country. We've had one in Australia. Uh, there talks about doing one in the Philippines. Uh, and, uh, and now it's just been amazing. And for me, the greatest benefit out of this entire thing has been to be able to find friendships and relationships with people that I can say, Hey, I love ministry and I love Jesus and I love theology. Does anybody want to talk about these things? And it's been so much fun to talk about these things with some pretty cool guys and pretty cool gals. Well, I can tell you that, uh, since we started this podcast back last January, that your name has been mentioned probably more than anybody from people writing in emails, tagging us in posts, shooting us text messages. Former guests that we've had on have all said, have you talked to Josh Tice? And I'll be honest, that's when I started following you on Twitter and just kind of watching from the outside what God is doing in your life. I mean, we've got folks that are writing in like, Josh has been a huge encouragement and challenge in my spiritual walk. Yeah. And man, we get this stuff all the time. And what I love about watching 
from the outside what God is doing in you is you're very humble about it. And, you know, that was, I probably followed you for a good four or five months before I even reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in coming on the podcast? You know, because just to see how God is using you there in Vegas and, you know, going through COVID and just how you handled all that and, and was continuing to lead people to Jesus, man, it really shows that your heart is for others and for them understanding the true gospel and how he wants to use that in their life. Yeah, Josh, since uh, JC mentioned uh, COVID, you know, there are a lot of pastors who listen to our podcast, and this has been an incredibly discouraging season for all of us. You know, I can just be honest, our our attendance on a Sunday now is less than 50% of what it has been, what it was. Uh, We're right now in the midst of a COVID outbreak. More people who are a part of our church family have COVID right now than at any point in time throughout this, this entire pandemic. And for that reason, there are other people who are afraid. Um, As a matter of fact, I made the joke today with our other hope church pastors that um, our second service, we should have just met in a church van. Um, Yeah. It's discouraging. A little while back, you did something that's really different from what pastors normally do. You know, we grew up, you know, hearing numbers exaggerated. Uh, There was a pastor in Texas. um, I know a gentleman on his staff who talked about, you know, they would count on a Sunday and the pastor would come in after the count and he would just completely change the number to whatever he thought he wanted it to be. And so he would just pick a random number that was much bigger than the number they had had. That's not just an independent Baptist issue. I know recently uh, there was a well-known contemporary church that they were really broadcasting the massive numbers of people that they were reaching during this COVID season and come to find out they were actually taking the highest number of views and then multiplying that times four. And they were considering that four people were represented in every view not even considering the fact that if you pause on a video on Facebook without even unmuting it uh, for three seconds, it's called a view. But I think we can all be dishonest about our numbers, but you actually took a picture of the audience on a day when it was really, really small. And I really appreciated that. And I think there are a lot of pastors in our audience who are quite possibly really discouraged right now because of what ministry looks like. And so they would see a guy like you, you're in Las Vegas. That's, you know, a famous city. You're, you're leading an idea network. And so surely everything must be perfect for you. But can you talk to them about the reality of what it's been like to be a pastor during COVID from your perspective? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I have wanted to quit every single week and I'm not trying to just be relatable. Listen to me. I have questioned whether or not I wanted to continue to be a pastor. I guarantee you everybody on my staff has done exactly the same thing. Here's the reality. My dear pastor pal, my brother in arms, my guy in the trench, ready to fight Satan with me. And you're there. You were there 10 years ago. You'll be there 10 years from now. Listen to me. You're not a bad pastor. Come on. This is a bad time. This is a bad time. It's terrible. It's a terrible time for everybody, and it's a terrible time for church. I've got pals in California. I think of a guy named Micaiah. Micaiah is literally fighting every week to stay open and minister to the gospel. He feels, not everybody does, but he feels absolutely obligated by Jesus Christ to keep his doors open, and they're getting $5,000 fines every week. This man is not a bad path. This man is in a bad time. And at the same time, he's getting ridiculed from every other Christian leader in his community, in his city, in his state, and in his denominational network. Listen to me, my friend. You're not a bad pastor. This is a bad time. And God has perfectly and divinely and sovereignly enabled you to do exactly what he's called you to do in the moment that he's called you to do it. Amen, Josh. That is an incredibly encouraging word as a pastor. And I'm teaching through the book of Acts. And as we're studying through Acts, we're looking at all the amazing things that God did through the ministry of Paul as he's traveling on his missionary journeys. We're in chapter 21 right now. And 
there's some things that I noticed going through the book of Acts that are not included. And that is what's going on politically, what's going on around them. There's a, a chapter when Paul was in Ephesus, and it's the time when Nero becomes the emperor, and it's not even mentioned. It talks about where he travels through places that had the seven wonders of the world, and it's not even recorded in scripture. And Paul went straight through there because it's focused on the gospel. And if we can do that in this time, I believe God will use our lives in a powerful way for the gospel, despite what we have to go through, because nobody said this was going to be easy. But he did say that the Holy Spirit would be with us and he would empower us and he would encourage us. And that's one of the things I love about your ministry, your message, your methods, is that you are a positive guy who is going through difficult times, yet you're doing it well. Don't you think we need to accept the fact, too, that God is tearing down a lot of our idols? We have built so many ministry idols and we've worshiped at the feet of those idols. You don't hear about any big name pastors traveling the circuit. Um, Attendance is low. Uh, People's praise of us is sparse. Not everybody comes up at the close of the service to shake our hands and tell us how wonderful we are. Um, Those idols, and there are so many more that are so much more substantial than that. And maybe you guys, your minds are working more quickly than mine tonight. Just so many idols. God said, you're not willing to tear these down, but I am. So that in all things, Christ might have the preeminence. At the most recent idea night here in Las Vegas, they were all over the country. It's something different we do. My dad was sitting there. I love to hear my dad give out a pearl of wisdom. Brian, he's a lot like your dad, I think. And he said, as he he spoke, he said, the beautiful thing that has happened during all of this coronavirus is he said, every time we ever got together as pastors before, everybody only wanted to talk about the number of people that came to church last Sunday. Yeah. He said, we are at a place for the first time in my life where we're not talking about how many people came to church, how many people came. We are not taking our identity in the number of attendants. We are taking our identity in the God who has called us. Wow. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, the reason nobody wants to talk about attendance right now <laughs> is because we would all be ashamed to talk about attendance right now. Um, we've even gone back to counting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and even assuming that somebody's bringing the devil with them. <laughs> I think. I think for me, it's a good time to be a new church planner. We're four years in, so we were running about eighty when COVID hit, and we had a we had four weeks off because I live in Georgia, and they're probably one of the least strict states in the union right now, and we had four weeks off. And then we kicked it right back up and our numbers dipped down. But man, God has been blessing us through this and our numbers have actually gone up. And I'm still, you know, we're still a, a smaller church plant, but we've gone from around 80 up to we've, we've ran over 120 a couple of times, which is a big deal for a church plant at the stage we're at. So, I mean, you never know what to expect. You never know how God is, is going to bless through this season. But I think the important part for us as pastors and for people who are in the congregation who are trying to make disciples in their workplaces through COVID and having more opportunities, it's a good reminder to us that God calls us to be faithful. We don't get to pick what time we live in. We get to pick if we're going to live out what that book teaches us and if we're going to be faithful in the time that God has placed us here. You know, I was thinking today how many pastors just a few years ago would stand up and preach about Facebook and social media. And you need, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard somebody say, get your face off of Facebook and into his word, that's the only Facebook you need, amen. And amen. now, how many of them are promoting, tune in live on Facebook to watch me preach All this message? Them. Every single every one single of them. One. Yep. Welcome to Facebook, buddy. Yeah, and a lot of them look like an Osama bin Laden. Yeah, video. they're terrible quality. I'm waiting for Hamblin to get a TikTok. He'd be like the robot the whole time. <laughs> I don't even have a TikTok. My teenage daughters have forbidden me from having a TikTok. They barely let me have an Instagram, and I rarely post on that. I'm the worst social media guy ever. 
We love your your MySpace though. <laughs> I don't think I ever had a MySpace, but but Josh, thank you for what you just shared about about this season of COVID, encouraging pastors. You know, I, I don't know when this is going to be over, but I know this much: God does. Amen. And He's going to be faithful to us. You know, the disciples were commanded by Jesus to get into the boat to go to the other side. They were in close proximity to Jesus, but that didn't, that didn't mean that they weren't going to go through a storm. Hmm. They were being obedient to Jesus, but that didn't mean they weren't going to go through a storm. They've been promised reaching the other side, but that didn't mean they weren't going to go through a storm. Preach. And uh, so just because we're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you're not walking with Jesus. It doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're no longer a disciple. It doesn't mean that you're not going to reach the other side. It just means right now we're in a storm. And what I think we all need to remember is that what gives us that confidence, that effectiveness is the remembrance of the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in us. I was thinking about this verse today in John 16, 7, that says where where Jesus was telling them, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's the same helper that's helping us go through COVID. Mm-hmm. That's the same Holy Spirit that's giving us the power to continue to Hallelujah. preach and to continue to minister and to continue to give out the gospel. And it, how absurd that must have been to them that he had to leave, but somebody was coming to give you power and that that power is there. And so I love what you just said, Brian, God knows. And as we go through this, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. What what you just said a minute ago, Josh, is that you're not a bad pastor. This is just a bad time. And this isn't taking God by surprise. How many times have we said this? God knows what's going on, and uh, we just got to learn to trust. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? This is really encouraging to hear this podcast. And I thank God for the RFP podcast. It's been encouraging to me. And maybe you're thinking, man, I sure could use some more of this encouragement. Then do so. You need to come out and see all of us. Yeah. Yep. Look, you're thinking, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. No, you're not, guy. Look, bro. Look, some of you, you're, you, you got this Elijah complex, and we're over here with like we got like 700 prophets hiding in a in a cave over here in Vegas. Like, come out here and get your wife around some good, positive women who aren't going to be talking about what she's wearing or if she's a good enough pastor's wife. They're just going to be her friends. We're going to talk about ministry. We're going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about philosophy. It's going to be amazing. And we, we, we are your people. And you need one hour of encouragement with this podcast. You need three. You need two full days of encouragement at the Idea Talks or at the Idea Summit. And then you need two two full days of hanging out in Vegas, eating at buffets. That's what you need. Come on. Now, come out to Vegas. Just tell your deacons you're going to Gatlinburg and then get on a plane and fly to Vegas. They won't even <laughs> know you're there. <laughs> no, I've even got a better idea than that. You know, creation testifies of the creator. And so, Pastor, you need to talk to your church about the fact that you believe that you would really get a sense of the bigness and the vastness of God if you could just have a worship time and a prayer time and a Bible study time at the Grand Canyon. If you could just see that, that it would remind you during this season of COVID of the bigness of God. Come to the Idea Summit and then run out to the Grand Canyon. And that way you haven't lied. And you can go out there and look at the Grand Canyon and go back and tell everybody we serve a big God. And if he can carve out the Grand Canyon, I promise he's going to carve out a way for you to make it through the coronavirus. Shake that bush. And you can take your Christmas bonus to the craps table and see if you can win something more to pay off your building. So, <laughs> Correct. I can teach you how. I can teach you how. Yes. <laughs> Guys, you know what we used to do? When the missionaries would come, that's what's interesting also about the Independent Baptist movement is that you've got missionaries from all circles who travel to all circles to raise support. God love them. They're amazing how they're able to connect to each and every group. But I remember as a kid, we would sit in the buffets at the casinos with these missionary kids and the parents would talk forever, but this was the restaurants we go to and all of them had Kino. Do you know what Kino is? Do you guys know what Kino is? Yeah. It's kind of like bingo. Um, So we would sit there and we'd teach the missionary kids how to play Kino. And uh, it was, it was fantastic. My parents would always say, stop teaching the missionary kids how to gamble. (laughs) And we're like, we're bored, man. We're bored. (laughs) Oh man. JC, only with you can we go from the bigness and the vastness (laughs) of God at the Grand Canyon 
to craps tables. Like, I don't even know how you do. Who are you and who trusts you with their students? Like, I want to know who these people are that say J.C. Groves needs to influence the next generation. This is what needs to happen. I love it. Sound like my grandma, man. (laughs) I love it. Oh, goodness. Hey, it is going to be a great time in Vegas, January 25th and 26th. Be sure to go to therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use the promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order. While you're there, click on the Idea Summit tab. Go to their website. Sign up today for the Idea Summit in Vegas, January 25th and 26th. Use the promo code RFP Meetup. Come and hang out with us and our wives and Josh and so many other pastors. It's going to be an absolute incredible time in Vegas, January 25th and 26th. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being on tonight, man. It's awesome hearing from you the last two weeks and hearing your story. And I am so excited about joining you in Vegas uh, I believe God has big things in store for the RFP fam. Hey, we cannot wait for you guys to come out. It's going to be a great time, and um, I'm excited about being able to hang out in person. I'm excited about meeting all of the followers of your podcast, and I'm excited especially to see some new guys get connected to some strong relationships and walk away with a plethora of ideas to help your ministry. We can't wait. Vegas is going to be fun. We're also looking ahead to 2021. Man, it is going to be an exciting time as the RFP fam is continuing to grow. We've got some big announcements coming in the next few weeks as the RFP family of podcasts is about to take off and go to a whole nother level. And uh, you'll want to be sure to stay tuned to our social media right here every Wednesday as we're releasing some of this incredible information. I'm excited. Guys, this has been an incredible episode. Josh, it's been great hanging out with you the last two weeks. We'll see you in a couple weeks in Vegas. Say bye, Josh. Bye, Josh. (laughs) Be sweet. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.